It is December 25th, 1805, and it's raining in Oregon. <sighs> we had hard rain and cloudy weather as usual. The day proved showery, wet, and disagreeable. Was another cloudy, wet day. Rainy and wet, disagreeable weather. This is some kick-ass Oregon history. Welcome to another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History, a survey created by the geeked out history folks at ORHistory.com. We profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. Holiday cheer, warm, crackling fires, stockings on the mantel and carolers on the doorstep, smells of ham or turkey or tofurkey wafting from the kitchen as short, apron-clad, haughty mom candies those yams. All across our fine state, these are the Christmassy sights, sounds, and smells of Oregon homes. But Christmas was not always like this. Today, we are talking about Oregon's First Christmas. In 1803, President Thomas Jefferson dispatched the 33-man Lewis and Clark expedition to travel across the newly acquired territory obtained from that little French fucker Napoleon in the Louisiana Purchase. The party was to document and collect plant, animal, and other scientific discoveries along their journey to the Pacific Ocean. The mission was scientific, but also a commercial enterprise, with a desire to establish trade relationships with the Native American peoples encountered along the voyage. This voyage is far too faceted to feature in a brief podcast, but it is a truly kick-ass tale and ORHistory.com reserves the right to draw on these tales for future podcasts. Hint, hint, hint. The winter of 1804 through 1805 was spent by the expedition at Fort Mandan, near Washburn, North Dakota, birthplace of Stan Falgren. Surely one of the worst places on Earth to winter over, that North Dakota Christmas proved to be a bit more festive than Oregon's first Christmas a year later. At Mandan, three volleys of cannon fire marked the holiday, along with some dancing by the men. At Fort Mandan, a young Lemmy Shoshone woman, well, a girl really, joined the party. Her name was Sakagaway, or Sacagawea, as some of our pre-1985 public school educated listeners may recall. She had been a slave of the Hidatsa peoples, but was won in a game of chance by a Quebecer trapper named Toussaint Charbonneau. Charbonneau was employed by Captains Clark and Lewis to guide the party, and this young woman left a priceless imprint on Oregon's history. 
as winter faded, the party continued westward, westward, always westward, except when they went north, south, or east, but those only so they could continue westward. Eventually, they arrived at the mouth of the Columbia River, extracting the response from William Clark on November 7, 1805 of, Ocean in view! Oh, the joy! An utterance so important that you now see it on a commemorative United States nickel. On November 24th, the captains asked the expedition to vote on a specific site to winter on the coast, north in present-day Washington, or south in Oregon, baby. The importance of this cannot be overestimated or overstressed. Historian Doug Kank Crispin. The decision to encamp on the south side of the Columbia was formative in many ways. First, it stamped the imprint of the Lewis and Clark expedition on Oregon's history for eternity. Second, it marked a dramatic democratic deviation in our nation's history. To begin with, this was a military expedition, and the commanders of this martial unit were allowing a vote among soldiers. Second, for the first time in American history, a black slave, York, and an Indian woman, Sacagawea, were allowed to have their votes tallied and indeed bestowed with the same value and importance as votes cast by white men. This was bold new ground being broken by Messieurs Clark and Lewis. The Oregon location was wisely chosen. The chosen Oregon location was named Fort Clatsop, and you can visit it today and we certainly hope that you do. Today's Fort Clatsop is a very accurate reconstruction of the expedition's Pacific base, their home until late March of 1806. The Palisade contains two long buildings with a small parade ground in the middle. The fort featured a front and rear door, the latter providing easy access to a fresh spring nearby, the front a portal for visitors. Pray my wish will come true. The local Chinook and Clatsop Indians were almost daily company at the garrison. With a deep tradition of trading furs and salmon, they engaged in epic trading sessions with the far less savvy and at this point quite broke Americans. It was truly a miserable bastion, literally on the rugged, unforgiving edge of the continent. It was soggy and smoky. The lack of chimneys hardly helped comfort the men. Fleas infested the place, and few nights were spent without disrupted slumber. And did we mention that it rained? All the time. All the time. All the fucking time. This is Doug Kank Crispin, and I'm sitting down with Tom Wilson at Fort Clatsop, and we are talking about Oregon's first Christmas. Thanks very much for joining us today, Tom. Sure, it's my pleasure. Um, I wanted—I think we'll start it off with, can you tell me a bit about the rain at Fort Clatsop? Uh, 
Well, the rain is never ending, uh, especially that winter. Uh, most journal entries start rained as usual. And so it's pretty persistent. And, and in most parts of the country, rain, rain comes vertical. Here many times in the winter, especially, it seems to come horizontal with a great deal of wind. Yeah, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not bow. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. Christmas morning, 1805 found Captains Clark and Lewis being awakened by a volley from the men's muskets. A shout followed, and then a chorus from these grizzled, rugged men erupted. We'd like to picture the Portland Gay Men's Chorus out there at Fort Clatsop. We're pretty sure that while the mustaches were similarly bushy, the presentation was not as well polished as our modern Portlanders. But this hoarse, gunpowdery roar, fellow ass-kicker, was the start of Oregon's first Christmas. Oh, what festive times at Fort Clatsop that holiday season. No, not really. But there were presents on this Oregon's first Christmas. Oh yes, there were. The captains took the remaining tobacco they had squirreled away, and after removing a small amount for entertaining Indians, they divided it up amongst the men. The eight men who did not smoke were given handkerchiefs. Private White House gave Clark a pair of moccasins he had prepared, yet again demonstrating that crafty gifts from the heart leave the best legacy. Lewis gave Clark some socks, a vest, and drawers. Even Sacagawea presented a gift to Clark, and it was one that was quite unique. Tom Wilson of Fort Clatsop explains about the weasel tails. Well, you know, that's an interesting, that's an interesting gift. Ermine. Ermine, white weasel is an ermine, one of the most valuable. I mean, that, that was big bling bling. I mean, that, that was to not only Native American, but to European people. And ermine is tough to get. They're a small white weasel. Uh, somehow, Sacagawea, again, wouldn't it be great to have her journal and really think about what, what, these, what in the heck are these guys celebrating? But she understood it. She, seemingly, she understood it. She had somehow been... been secretly gathering, collecting, and dressing, or skinning, or tanning, if you will, these ermine. Where'd she get them? We don't have them around. So did she get them in the mountains? She had to have been collecting these. They only turn white for, for a period in the winter. And um, she gave William Clark two dozen, he writes, of the white weasel. And so that, that is really touching when you think about it, when you think of the process. And, and what was she thinking? It, it's real fun to think about. The repast for the first Christmas in Oregon was a beggarly meal at best. The journal specified that the men ate poor elk, which means lean meat or absent of fat, one of the things that the soldiers were desperately seeking in their diets. Elk was the life source at Fort Clatsop. 
During the three-month stay on Oregon's shore, the men killed 131 of the beasts and 20 deer, probably for appetizers. They ate elk boiled, they smoked, jerked elk, and they roasted elk when it was fresh, local, and sustainable. wouldn't be Christmas without one of your relatives getting drunk and embarrassing themselves. Surely, the men of the expedition tied one on and partied hardy ass-kicker style, no? Did the men partake in any libations on that first Christmas in Oregon? Not the first Christmas in Oregon, but the first Christmas that they were together, they certainly did. They, they had, you know, in the Army in those days, you would, you would have a ration. You would have four ounces, and you'd line up. And, and unfortunately, this was gone. July 4th, they, another celebration they, that was the last of their rations of whiskey, rum, wh- whatever they had. But here at, here at Fort Clatsop, no. In fact, Joseph Whitehouse, one of the privates that writes, uh, and it's real fun to read Whitehouse's, he says, we had no ardent spirits of any kind among us, but are mostly in good health a blessing which we esteem more than all the luxuries this life can afford. And so these guys are weaned off their whiskey, and I imagine they're pretty irritable back by around the Great Falls. But here, no, there, there's no there's no toast, which would be a normal thing in uh, for the expedition and for anyone in those days, uh, as is today, um, but, but no spirits at all. Joseph Whitehouse did provide us with some pointed almost poignant insight on the thinking of the men with the marking of this holiday. The party are thankful to the Supreme Being for his goodness towards us, hoping he will preserve us in the same and enable us to return to the United States again in safety. We have at present nothing to eat but lean elk mead and that without salt. But the whole of our party are content with his fare. Captain Clark also shared some insight on Oregon's first Christmas in his journal entry from that day. William Clark wrote on, on the Christmas here at Fort Class of several things, but uh, the weather, the day proved showery, wet, and disagreeable. We would have spent this day the nativity of Christ in feasting, had we anything either to raise our spirits or even gratify our appetites. Our dinner consisted of poor elk, so much spoiled that we eat it through mere necessity. Some spoiled pounded fish and a few roots. Merry Christmas, guys, party on, you know? Boy, you know, and and here, they're still in good spirits. I'd be crying and moaning and, you know, but no, these guys, these guys knew their situation. Not much exists in the record to tell us what the men in Sacagawea actually did on that Oregon's first Christmas. Other than the volley of small arms fire and the gift giving, it seems very much like Christmas 1805 was a pretty normal day at Fort Clatsop. The structure was just about finished, so the men likely busied themselves with filling mud in the cracks in the planks and trying their best to make their enclosure as comfortable as reasonably possible. Surely the expedition members thought about faraway families enjoying the holiday at home, but work and toil needed to be attended to on the Oregon coast, and these men continued with their tasks. 
And did we mention the fucking rain? It rained. And constantly wet. Constantly Correct. wet. And, and you know, when we think of constantly wet, we, we think of, oh, I've got to dry my Gore-Tex coat out. I have to shake my umbrella up. You know, these guys literally wet to the bone. I mean, and being in leather, most of their wool, most of their army clothes are gone. A few of the guys may have bits and pieces of, of wool. Um, but I'll tell you what, probably the worst thing you can be in in this weather is, is wet leather. It, it just clings. And like wool that retains the heat, leather takes heat from you. I've been in wet buckskins, and after just a few days, I'm a big crying wimp. Uh, and, and these guys, um, literally before they got here, the leather was, was rotting and, and falling off of them. Um, and day after day. Uh, but now, the fort's built, and, and so their spirits are lifted. And, and I think they're, they're constantly looking forward to the next Christmas. They write about that, especially on January, on New Year's Day, they write about that. You know, we'll be, in the, uh, we'll be with our families next year, pretty much. So quit your bitching and think about that hopeful family feeling as you prepare to share quality time with your kin this holiday season, dear ass kicker. Your Christmas sweater and prescription antidepressants in tow. Happy holidays to you from the ORhistory.com crew. Did I mention that it rained? It's raining, man! Hallelujah, it's raining, man! Amen! I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna let myself get absolutely soaking It's Thank you for listening, and be on the lookout for future podcasts by our crew. We hope that you agree that this episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Today's podcast on Oregon's first Christmas was brought to you by ORhistory.com. It was written by Doug Kent Crispin and Andy Lindbergh. Citations are available on request. out our website at orhistory.com. There, you can purchase Oregon history merchandise, follow our progress as rock and roll historians, get news about events and contests, and you can subscribe to the podcast and have it delivered through RSS directly to your device. Or follow us on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. You can also like us on the Facebook. Our email address is OregonHistorian.com at gmail.com Just don't eat any of the little colorful candies in Drunken Santa's pocket. We think they're roofies. You stay historic, Oregon, and kick ass! I have a job for you to do. Now take this down. It's a difficult responsibility that you accept from the number one lawmaker, me. Have it known throughout the land from sea to sea. There'll be no more toy makers to the king. All the tin soldiers melt them down. Wash the face of every clown. Each bouncing ball deflated. No, I don't want to debate it. The ballerinas who pirouette rest their musical toes. Outlaw the dolls and sink the boats. They bring me only woes. It's a difficult responsibility. 
that you accept from the number one lawmaker, me. Have it known throughout the land from sea to sea. Jack in the box be sealed Till my wounded pride be healed Stuff animals, unstuff them When a child objects, rebuff them No more drummers who rat-a-tat-tat No buglers who root a toot toot Don't let me see another toy Or you will feel my boot It's a difficult responsibility that he extracts from the number one lock keeper me be it known throughout the land from sea to sea toys are hereby declared illegal immoral unlawful and anyone found with a toy in his possession will be placed under arrest and thrown in the dungeon orhistory.com